Genesis chapter number 25. Genesis 25. If you'd turn there, please. This weekend, um, Jenny and I will be at the Temple Baptist Church in El Dorado, Kansas. On Friday night, I think about 10 or 12 churches will be assembling together for a big area youth rally um, there that they've asked me to preach. And so, uh, if you would pray for us, I love preaching to the next generation of Christians. I love it. And uh, I, I hope that God will use us there. And I begin to study uh, what God would have me, or pray about what God would have me to preach. And my, my mind went to this story right here that I'm going to preach to you tonight. And I, I began to study the story of Esau and Jacob and realized that the, we preach this to teenagers a lot, but they weren't actually teenagers when this happened. They, they were older men, in fact. In, as far as you know, our calculations go, they weren't old in that day. But to us, they, they, experts say they're around 60 years old, perhaps. Uh, when this, this story about trading the birthright happened. And I thought, well, if, if they were adults and they're prone to do that, well, maybe we're prone to do that as adults too. I'm going to preach this uh, in one part um, to the teenagers on Friday night. I'm going to preach it to you in two parts. And then I'll be uh, preaching there all day on Sunday. I think I'm going to preach a few of the Philippian messages out of chapter 2 that I've been preaching here. So if you'd pray that God would use us there, uh, my dad and mom, or of course, Ashina and the girls today, and they'll be flying out tomorrow for Portland, Oregon. And then they'll drive to Goldendale, Washington from there, where they will begin a marriage retreat. And so be praying for them, uh, and they'll stay over that weekend and preach. And ironically, the pastor there preached, and uh, it's, he's actually just like a son. Uh, he, was, he went to Heartland, and it's a big reason why I went to Heartland, and it's a big part of our family. If you remember T.J. Wilder, he preached here last year. So anyway... Um, be praying for us. Genesis 25. Let's read the, the whole story together. 24 through 34. Okay? Verses 24 through 34. Genesis chapter 25. Very familiar story to those that have been saved for any length of time. Here's what the Bible says beginning in verse 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red all over like a hairy garment. They called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew. Now they're, they're older. Esau has become a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, and Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The title of the, the two-part message would be this, The Stupid Decision of a Starving Son. If you don't like that word stupid, just understand I'm preaching to teenagers who use it on a daily basis. And you probably do too, at least in your mind, so you can polish your halo as I say stupid all night long. I could have said senseless, but I just, I got over it real quick. You ever been around somebody and something they did or something they said caused you to scratch your head? And you thought, you didn't say it, but you thought it. That was really stupid. You ever done something 
that was really stupid. The main character of our story did something that would cause us to scratch our heads and think that was really stupid. And he wasn't a teenager. His name is Esau. You know the story. He had a young brother named Jacob. They were fraternal twins. So they were born just moments apart, but they didn't look anything alike. In fact, it said that Esau was a hairy man and Jacob was smooth-skinned. And it even translated into their personality differences. Esau was a daddy's boy and Jacob was a mama's boy. And Esau liked to kill things and Jacob liked to cook things. That means that Esau wore camo and Jacob wore an apron. That, that really doesn't have much to do, it's just a personality thing. It, it, I, I don't think Jacob was weak. If you study the life of Jacob, um, the man wrestled all night with, with God. Um, and, and he was a pretty strong guy. Uh, you had to be kind of strong to make it back in the day. And so I don't think he was weak. I think his personality, personality was just different than Esau's. His role in the family was much different. And there's a couple things you need to know about Esau up front. The text says he was a hunter. In fact, verse 27 said he was a cunning hunter, which meant that he was pretty good at it. And if we're not careful, we'll skip over this little point. But it, it lays a foundation for, for kind of the character of Esau because he developed in his hunting skills and he developed on the outside, but he didn't develop on the inside. Um, he got older, he just didn't get any wiser. And you know, there are a lot of adults like that, even in good churches. Ones that get older, but they don't get wiser. There's a lot of those in America. <laughs> 40, 50 year old kids. You know, you ever heard that song, I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid? There's a lot of Toys R Us kids that are 40 and 50 years old still. Truly. That have never really gotten any wiser. And that's exactly what happened here. We need, to, we need to be aware of the fact that we can grow in our skills and our abilities on the outside and still stay small on the inside. That's a tendency of man, and we've got to be very careful about that. That's where Esau was. Here's another thing you need to know. Right. And what they called the blessing. Those two things kind of went together. They were reserved for the oldest son. And it was incredibly important, both physically and spiritually, for three reasons. Number one, the birthright was valuable because it would have meant that Esau would have gotten a larger portion of the inheritance. Meaning he would have gotten two-thirds of his dad's land and wealth. That's a great perk for being the oldest son. It was valuable, number two, because it meant that Esau would have been recognized as the future leader of the family, the head of the household and the spiritual leader of the home, and that's a great privilege. But, but even greater than those things is the spiritual implications of the birthright in Esau's case because it would have placed Esau on the line of God's chosen people. More specifically, the Savior Jesus would come through his side of the family. So that's incredible. Esau was giving something very, very special, something that would have made him rich, something that would have made him influential, land meant influence back then, and then something that would have put him in the very family tree of the coming Messiah. Yet the story we just read says that Esau did something with the birthright that causes us to scratch our head and think, dude, that was stupid. That is crazy. What he did was he simply traded his birthright to his younger brother, Jacob. And we're going to discuss that more next week, but don't be mistaken here. That's not just a small matter. 
This is, this is a decision that, that, would, that would have had severe consequences, not just for Esau, but for his children and future generations for years to come. This was a huge mistake. My question is why? Why would he do something like that? And better yet, how can we keep from making that same mistake? Because we too are prone to making really stupid decisions sometimes. Can you say amen? Don't leave me hanging. We're, we're prone to do some silly things. To make some silly mistakes, some senseless trades where we give up so much for so little in the moment. And so I, I want to look at Esau's example and he teaches us very simply two ways that we can prevent from making the same mistake. And here's the first which we'll discuss tonight. Stay full. Stay full. Here's what I mean. Unsatisfied appetites will eventually lead to exaggerated emotions. And exaggerated emotions often lead to very poor decisions. So the action that we can take from this to prevent from making the same mistake Esau made is we have to stay full. How many in here are on a diet? Raise your hand. So you started one in 2019 or you're on one now. Bless your heart. Every one of you, bless your heart. I don't like diets. You know I don't like diets? Because I love food. I love Mexican food. That's at the top of my list. It'll be served at the marriage supper of the lamb. Chips and salsa will be spread out in heaven. Guarantee it. I can go chips and salsa for days. Literally. I can't stop. If, if you want to reveal the lack of discipline in, in my life, take me to a Mexican restaurant for lunch. And, and watch how I just devour chips without even knowing it. You do all the talking, I do all the eating. I love pizza. That's, that's the second thing. That would be the marriage lunch of the lamb. I like pizza anything. Pizza Hut. I like pizza pockets. Pizza bagel bites. Pizza rolls. Like those little pepperoni pillows from heaven. You ever tried those suckers? They're amazing. I love milkshakes. That's the third thing. That will be the beverage of choice. Banana milkshakes from Brahms are my favorite. And that's, that's why I hate diets. But I have occasionally went on one. Probably I do need to go on one again. And when I went on them in the past, there's one I went on uh, back in the day when I first got married, and, and, uh, and I just went totally to the extreme, and I tend to starve myself. I lost 45 pounds. I hardly ate anything at all. I worked out twice a day. I tend to go really, really extreme, but nutritionists tell you that if you're going to diet, don't starve yourself. In fact, they say eat a small breakfast, then, then, a, then a light snack, and then a lunch, and then a, a light snack, and then a light dinner. I just eat heavy breakfast, heavy snack, heavy lunch, heavy snack, heavy dinner, heavy snack after dinner. You know why they tell us that? Because they know eventually 9.30 p.m. rolls around. And if you starve yourself, you begin to hear a voice calling your name from the refrigerator, and it's not the voice of the broccoli, it's the voice of the briars and the bluebell, you know what I mean? And you're tempted to make these late night runs to the refrigerator. Unfortunately, the world has a refrigerator too. Did you hear me? The world offers junk food too. It's not nutritious. And it will feel good in the moment. Just like ice cream does at 9.30 at night. But it won't really fill you up. 
It'll feel good, but it won't fill you up. Well, what does this all mean for us spiritually? If you starve your, your soul, the nutrition that it needs, you will find yourself willing to take whatever the world offers you just to satisfy your appetite in the moment. And that's what Esau did. Look at verse 29. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. He was faint because he's wore out from a long day hunting. You understand that hunting back then wasn't like hunting is today, Brother Travis. I know it's hard work today, but it's a lot of recreation. It's a lot of bragging rights. Back then, you didn't hunt, you didn't eat. And you didn't get, a, you didn't get to drag your, your animal in with a four-wheeler. I mean, it was serious, serious work. It was daily work. He was tired. And, and look at the first phrase of verse 30. And Esau said to who? To who? Jacob. Here was his first problem. He went to Jacob. The Jacob who is his twin brother, they're adults now, he knew Jacob well enough to know that his brother was a liar. Study the life of Jacob. A schemer, a manipulator. I mean, he was grabbing his heel in the womb. Esau knew this guy was crazy. He would do anything to get his way. Not the kind of person you want to go to when you're vulnerable. Can I say this? Be careful who you go to. Who you listen to. Who you confide in. Who you read after when you're vulnerable. I'm talking when you're lonely, when you're discouraged, when you're angry, when you're confused. Because the devil will always have a Jacob there. And he'll always have a bowl of beans. He'll always be there to offer you something that'll feel good in the moment. It's not always good advice. And here's what I found. The devil often uses people in our own family to do it. Just like he did in Esau's case. Look at verse 30. Esau said, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. You can hear the desperation in Esau's voice. Today we call it hangry. You ever been hangry? I think this is more of a man problem than a woman problem. Men truly get hangry. Some of you ladies are like, nope, I know what hangry feels like. <laughs> Bless your heart. I don't like being hangry. How many knew Jacob knew the exact condition his big brother was in? And the devil knows the exact condition we're in. He doesn't just know how to tempt us, he knows when to tempt us. When we're hangry. When, we're, when our soul is empty. When we're vulnerable. Weak, lonely, things aren't going right. In the valley. Betrayed, confused, whatever they can, broke. That's when the Jacobs in our life will come our way. Because the devil doesn't just know our weaknesses, he knows our weak times. That's important to understand. Look at Jacob's response in verse 31. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Now look up here. If I'm Esau, I would not be in the mood for negotiations. And understand, if Esau was a man that went out into the field every day. And Jacob was a plain man who dwelled in the tent and cooked. I'm just guessing both of them might be strong, but Esau, Esau might be a little stronger. And if he hauled deer in every day and everything else that he killed in every day, he probably could have taken Jacob by the apron, put him to the side, and eaten the stew right out of the pot if he wanted to. But he didn't. Because his empty soul caused him to make a poor decision, and he actually goes from, from like a, a, a big, hairy, strong hunter of a man to an overrated drama queen. Because men can be drama queens too. Look at the last part of verse 32. 
or, or the first part of verse 32, rather. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. Question, was he really about to die? No, study the life of Esau. He lived for several chapters. <laughs> he wasn't about to die. It's like when my eight-year-old son just ate three hours ago, and he says, I'm starving to death. I say, get out of here, kid, you just ate. He's not starving to death. We exaggerate when we're hungry. And now he's got this exaggerated emotion, but it didn't stop there because he continues in verse 32. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? That's where he gets absurd. That's where he makes no sense. How many have ever been in a difficult time in your life and you said some stupid things? Raise your hand. Been there. You know how that works. Our minds, our emotions go in crazy places and things come out of our mouth that we look back on two years later and say, what was I thinking? The problem is you weren't. Your emotions cause your thinking to be about as clear as it will be when you drive home tonight. It's very foggy. You need lights. You need help. You need people to, to, to come alongside and guide you through those times in life because you'll say and do things so, so absurd. Things you know better than. And that's exactly what he says. He knew what that birthright meant. He knew what he was, he was despising. Verse 34 said he despised his birthright. It meant he devalued it. He treated it lightly, flippantly. In other words, his emotions began to govern his choices. So the question is, how could he do that? I'll tell you how. Because he had an unsatisfied appetite. And his unsatisfied appetite led to exaggerated emotions, and he began to be led by his feelings more than his faith, governed by his senses more than the Spirit of God. And what would have looked and seemed foolish on a normal day became attractive to him on this day. I'm going to say it again. When you have an unsatisfied appetite, when your soul is empty, you will find yourself willing to satisfy that appetite with anything, even if you wouldn't think twice about it on a normal day. Solomon reiterates this principle in Proverbs 27. Look at it. Verse 7. The full soul loatheth and honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. This is so, don't miss this. What is he saying? He's using the analogy of food to talk to us about our souls. And he's saying that the person who is full will not desire any more food, no matter how sweet it looks or delicious it looks. He'll be too full to even think about it. He won't even be tempted by it. Yet he says a person can get so hungry that he craves anything, even if that anything is nasty and disgusting and bitter. And on a normal day, he would never eat it because he gets so hungry, he'll satisfy that hunger and that appetite with virtually anything. Let me illustrate. I bought some uh, white fudge-covered Oreos. I, I, my, my whole life up to this point, I've been a devil-stuffed Oreo guy. and Not a single-stuffed Oreo guy. It's too much chocolate, not enough cream. And not a mega-stuffed Oreo guy. It's too much cream and not enough chocolate. Devil-stuffed Oreos is, is the recipe from heaven for, for Oreos. Now they came out with this white fudge-covered. Have you tried one of these? They'll be available. We're doing communion tonight, and you can use this if you decide. <laughs> it looks like unleavened bread in a way. We can chop it up in little pieces. Um, that's blasphemous. I shouldn't say that. Um, but uh, these are amazing. If you were to come to me on just a normal day, stop by the office at 2.30 in the afternoon, you say, hey, you, you want a white fudge covered Oreo? I would tell you, absolutely. I'll take two or three of them. You got a glass of milk? 
any day. I don't care if I ate lunch. I don't care if th th this would, I, I would love it. These are one of my favorite snacks in all of the world. But do you understand that if I went out to eat, I don't know, let's say El Amigo Chavez, it's my favorite place to eat, I like chips and salsa, and I really filled up at lunch, and you came about 1.30 when I just got back in the office, you said, hey, you want a chocolate-covered Oreo? I would be so full that I would almost loathe these, meaning I would despise them. They'd almost make me gag. You've been there, right? Your wife cooked such a good meal, guys, you push back from the table, you said, I can't do dessert right now. So he's like, no, I always got room for dessert. But there have been times when you've been so full you couldn't even think about eating something that on a normal day would be so delicious. Yet at the same time, I've got pepperoni, prime rib flavor. How many know this really doesn't taste like prime rib? It doesn't. <laughs> to your dog it might. And I'm giving this stuff away after the services too, by the way. How many know that I could, I could go 10, 15 days without eating? Okay, 30 days or so without eating. I'd do the Jesus fast for 40. And if the only thing we had available was pepperoni, how many know? Now, I know you can't even think about eating one of those. You know, if I had junior hires in here, they'd be like, yeah, I'll take one. Do I get a candy bar if I do? You know, but we're adults, right? We know better than that. You understand you could get to a point, for some it'd be 10 days, for some it'd be 20, for some it'd be 40, you know you would eat one of these. You would. Why? You'd be hungry. You would have to satisfy your hunger. And that's exactly what Solomon is saying. That's exactly what Esau was going through. If you live with an empty soul, you'd be attracted to empty pursuits. You hear me? If you walk around hungry, you will make a lot of late night runs for junk food in the world's refrigerator. And we never outgrow this propensity. Ever. Ever. It's not a teen problem. And it's not a college age problem. This is a grown adult problem. That we walk around with empty souls and we begin to develop an appetite for pepperoni. Spiritually speaking. And you actually start to be interested in something, or should I say someone, that in a normal day wouldn't even appeal to you. You'll start making decisions, believe it or not, that cause people to sit back, scratch their head, and say, that was really stupid. Just like, just like we do when teenagers do some things. That was really, that was crazy. And just like you would do if I just took one of these out and started chewing on it like pastor chewed on that beef jerky a couple weeks ago you would scratch your head and say what a moron that's what we do when we walk around with empty souls i'm thinking about someone who is single and their spiritual soul is starving and they haven't satisfied it with a relationship with god and so they pursue another relationship to fill that void and there's always a jacob they get in on the dating scene, and it's like one relationship after another, and it's not hard to discern that they're doing more than just trying to get married. They're trying to satisfy a soul that is starving for an authentic relationship that can only be found in Jesus. I'm thinking about someone that tries to fill up with financial pursuits because they're starving spiritually. The best thing they know to fill that void is to work more and earn more money. And so a second, third job, or overtime, it's not that they need the job necessarily, or they need the overtime necessarily, it's just what makes them feel complete right now. 
Or if they're not working to fill that void, they're spending to fill that void. Impulsive purchases and, and shopping sprees, it, it medicates them in the moment. I'm thinking about someone that, that seeks to fill that emptiness with affirmation. They'll fish for compliments and they'll fish for sympathy on social media and, and at church and at work or from a spouse or from a parent or even from a child. The problem with becoming dependent on affirmation to satisfy your soul, listen, is that it won't always be there. And eventually you'll push people away when they sense that the relationship is all about you and all about your problems and all about your needs. I'm thinking about those in a season of testing and trial. Those are times when we are most vulnerable and naturally feel empty. Believe me, I know what that feels like. And the devil loves capitalizing on those times in our life and he, and he tempts us to fill that temptation with self-pity or with anger or even indifference. He'll, he'll, he'll tempt us to feel that emptiness with temporary pleasure, such as alcohol, drugs, nicotine, porn, whatever you might put in those blanks there. And those things aren't even the real problem. They're not good, but they're not the real problem. The real problem is that you're starving your soul of spiritual nutrition, and that has led you to all those late-night runs to the world's refrigerator where you're desperately trying to find something that will satisfy your appetite. And I'll tell you tonight that no matter where you're at in life, the world's junk food will never fill you up. Ever. So how do you prevent this from happening? You stay full. You stay full. If I stay full, I don't want pepperoni. If I eat right spiritually on a daily basis, I'm not running to the world's refrigerator. A bowl of beans from the Jacobs in my life will not even appeal to me because I'll have a satisfied appetite in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you stay full? I only got five minutes, so let me hurry. Three ways. Number one, the Word of God. That's why we have trust and obey books. Right here. If you read the one today, it was about the word of God. It was amazing. That's why we're making these available for five dollars. You want one, hit me up after the service. I'll, I'll, I'll sell it to you or give it to you. Let the word of God get in you. By you getting in the word of God. Listen to it and read it and memorize it and live it. I'm telling you, 9 out of 10 times, if not 10 out of 10, when someone comes to my office and needs counseling and they're having problems, I say, when's the last time you read your Bible? I can't remember. I'm not saying that you have to go and, and God's got this, this chart in heaven that says, oh, you read the Bible today, today, today. No, it's not a, it's not a list of requirements. Don't, don't view it as homework. It's communion with the Holy God. That's what it is. That's why you can read one verse and you're communing with God. That's what it is. And you can't afford not to talk to God one day in your life. You can't afford that. God talks to you through his word. And then you fill up with, with the work of God. There's something that keeps us focused when we're serving people. The moment you stop serving people, you get distracted. You get selfish. You get inward. Things of the world become somewhat appetizing to you. You listening tonight? No, I'll tell you, there can be a lot of pastors that are serving that still go after a bowl of beans and compromise. And a lot of people teaching in Sunday school classes that I've seen compromise. That's not the cure-all, but you give yourself the best chance to not, to not have an appetite for worldly things when you are involved in the work of God. Give yourself the best chance. It's not a cure-all, but you give yourself the best chance. Number three, the people of God. You are, you are, you are supposed to live in community. You see all the times in the Bible that it says one another. View that. We, we, just, just go and study that. All the times in the Bible it says, one, serve you one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. 
Forgive one another. Paul is writing to churches, to local bodies of believers. Listen, your closest relationships ought to be those you serve and worship with. They ought to be people that love God and fear God and walk with God. And here's an amazing promise. I wish I could elaborate on these things. But here's what Jesus said when you fill up on the right things. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now let me stop there because you can study the original Greek words for hunger and thirst. And they're not like little words that mean take a sip of righteousness here and a little bite of righteousness there. They're the strongest Greek words Jesus could have chose to use for these two words. It's talking about an insatiable thirst, a ravenous hunger. Like you're starving, you're pursuing. You're, you, you, you know when you get to a plate and you just like this, you haven't eaten in days it feels like. That's what it's talking about. When you fill yourself up on the right things, like the word of God, work of God, and people of God, and it's a relentless pursuit. Here's Jesus' promise, his words in the Sermon on the Mount. They shall be, what's the next word? Filled, that word filled literally means satisfied. Satisfied. Like when you push yourself back from the Thanksgiving table and you exhale. Whew, I was good. And you got that internal sense of satisfaction. You don't want another bite to eat, but you're full, and it's a good full, and you love it. Listen, when you fill yourself up at God's table, the Word of God, and the work of God, and the people of God, and you push yourself back from God's table, listen to me, you will be full. You'll be satisfied. And so when somebody comes around with a little bit of pepperoni, whether that's in the form of an almighty dollar, an impure relationship, pornographic image, addictive drug, a bad attitude, indifference, anger. When the devil comes along with these little things, when, God, when, when, when the devil sends a Jacob around, you'll be so full of the right things, you won't have even an appetite for those things. If you're rocking around with an empty soul, listen, it won't be long until the devil tempts you with an empty pursuit. I've seen it. How many have seen that? How many have seen that? Raise, just raise your hand. You've seen that happen? It's happened in my life. And that's what happened with Esau, and we're going to learn next week. Jacob, Jacob had a plan. You understood he was cooking at just the time when he knew Esau would come back. And he knew Esau's favorite stew. He knew exactly what to cook and when to cook it. We'll talk about that next week. Can I just ask you this? How's your soul tonight? Are you full? Are you walking around hungry? The best way to answer that question is to honestly answer these questions. What are you attracted to right now? What's appealing to you right now? What do you crave right now? And how's your appetite right now? In other words, what's your stomach telling you? What's your soul telling you? You starving? Then fill up on righteousness. And watch how you'll push back from God's table. Take a deep breath and say, man, why did I ever even entertain the thought of filling up in the world's refrigerator? God's, listen, God's refrigerator is so much better. You with me? God's refrigerator is just better. Stay full because unsatisfied appetites can lead to exaggerated emotions which can lead to some very, very bad decisions. If you agree with the Bible tonight, say amen.